Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. In today's episode of Holistic Health Chats, we are switching gears a little and chatting about pet health. If you follow me at all on Instagram, then you know my dog, Corby, is one of the biggest sources of joy in my life. And getting a dog has made me realize how similar the pet industry is to the human food and healthcare industry. So in today's episode, I chat to Roz from Natural Pets Australia to discuss everything from dog food, the benefits of feeding a species-appropriate diet, alternatives to chemical worming treatments, and potential structural damage that collars can cause, particularly if used with force. Now, I just want to point out before we get started that this episode does come with a little disclaimer. And that is, you don't know what you don't know. As always, this episode is in no way intended to make you feel bad. I know you love your fur baby just as much as I do. And just like every other episode, my intention is always to help you and your fur baby live your best life. Hi, Roz, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited for this conversation today. When I was, you know, thinking about what I would ask you, I realized I was actually more excited to have this conversation with you than I have been about some of the nutrition related (laughs) topics, which is funny. Um, But we are going to be talking all about raising healthy pets and holistic pet care, which is something that Roz has helped us with since we got our dog just over a year ago. Um, so before we get into all of that, I'd love if you could just start out with um, two facts that most people don't know about you. Um, I'm very much an introvert. I guess that's probably why I love animals so much. So as much as I'm excited to talk about um, pets, um, I definitely <laughs> don't like doing that very often. Um, and I'm petrified of snakes. So oh, me too. I me too. I'd be an animal lover, but I just have to draw the line at snakes. Yeah, I draw the line there too. I think, yeah, I'm I'm not a snake person. I actually have this weird thing where whenever I see them in real life, I just cry. It's not like a, a, a sad cry, but my eyes just yeah. start gushing water. Um, and they're just, they're so creepy. I can't handle them. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely with you on that. Um, so just tell us a bit about, what it is that you do in the holistic healthcare um, space? Yeah, so I um, I run natural medicine for pets, and we also have a subsidiary Australian Pet Nutrition now. Um, so we offer to pet owners an alternative holistic approach to caring for their animals. So we avoid, where possible, um, pharmaceutical drugs, steroids, and things like that, and try and heal through natural alternatives so primarily I like to do that through food um, but if we can't do that we will do that through herbal medicine or homeopathics um, as well and then we also have the rehab um, to the business so um, massage laser 
um, and all those alternative uh, rehab protocols as well. I love that. We've definitely uh, are so grateful that we found you. I don't know how, I think it's John, my partner who found you and I'm not sure how um, he is always finding interesting things um, through browsing the internet, but (laughs) I'm so glad that he did find you because you've just been such an invaluable resource for us in the first year of having a pet. We've gone to you for so many things, so many questions. Um, And what I found so interesting is just that there's so much um, sort of so much similarity, I guess, between the the pet industry and also the, the healthcare industry. And we'll go into that further, but, you know, foods, the approach to things, it's, um, it's really, really interesting how, how similar it is. And, and also I think sort of how backwards we've got a lot of things at the moment. Oh, definitely. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you, what, I guess, um, made you want to start working with pets and then also you know were you always into the holistic um side of things or was there something that got you interested in that yeah I mean I definitely grew up with that approach to my own health Mm -hmm. but also that's sort of how growing up on a farm that was the kind of approach you took to animals because a vet was so far away so you had to have solutions yourself but um when I got my first dog, he was a rescue dog and he was just super, super sick when I got him from the shelter. And I didn't want to, I just had in the back of my mind that I didn't want to feed this crappy packet dry food. It just didn't sit right with me. Um, and that was, everyone was telling me this. And then I found this amazing um, holistic pet shop uh, in Darwin and sort of it triggered from there that that's what I wanted to become qualified in myself and then of course naturally I got a second dog that was Jack. <laughs> and he had this really he was a pup and he had this really complex fracture on his paw and the recommendation from the specialist was just chop it off um, and that didn't again that didn't sit right with me that we would chop off something that wasn't working um, when perhaps there was other ways to do mm. that that would have less um, impact than having a dog trying to compensate on three legs and things like that that then took me down this whole rehab alternative therapies um and I'm very proud to say he has really great confirmation now and he still has all four limbs so that that was a good story for me and yeah yeah and what did you do for him um so we initially I went down the whole um massage therapy and I went into learning how to tape injuries so he had a lot of taping initially while we were trying to promote the fracture to heal. Um, and then he had laser and lots of massage. And, of course, he was on herbal supplements. We did that all drug-free as well. Mm, that's such a good story. So nice that he got to keep his little paw. And, yeah, it does seem for a fracture. I mean, I don't obviously know much about, um, you know, injuries and things like that in pets, but it seems odd to chop off a paw for a fracture. Yeah, it was it was in this really odd um, spot on his carpool, so it mm-hmm. couldn't be operated on. But um, okay. it was still very extreme for me as well. So yeah, I'm glad I didn't. Happy ending, definitely. Um, so you've already touched on a bit, but I guess just to explain um, a bit about what holistic pet care and therapy is, and and I guess 
how it really differs from the conventional approach? Yeah. So when you think about the conventional approach or when you've perhaps been to your vet, um, you go in and you perhaps say, look, my dog's got an ear infection and then they'll prescribe you something or they'll give you a treatment protocol specifically to treat that condition. Mm -hmm. Um, And then likely that will go away, but it will usually come back. When we're talking about holistically, we're looking at, yep, the dog is presenting with, for example, an ear infection, but what's actually causing that to mm. manifest? Um, is it because, um, well, with ears, I always come back to gut health. Um, is it their poor nutrition that's therefore compromising their immune system? Um, are they having issues with regulating their hormones? Uh, if they're already de-sex, that potentially is linked into that. Um, are there, is their environment at home stressful? Um, we know that stress can manifest Um, health conditions just like it does um, in humans yeah Um, so we're looking at sort of that emotional behavioral um, physiological and the interplay of body systems not just x symptom x treatment so every dog is different so Mm. um, we really value the individuality of the dog when we think about holistic treatment as well yeah I love that it honestly is so so many parallels to you know things that even I'm doing in clinic and every time I've asked you a question about Kobe that's our dog about her and you've told me I've kind of thought like oh of course like why didn't I think of that that's what I would do for myself or for one of my clients or something like that so it's yeah it's really um yeah interesting to see that we always come back to those basic things and thinking about, well, you know, really what's the root cause of it all or investigating that if we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So important, but very often forgotten. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, appeal for an ill is unfortunately the society that we're living in at the moment. Um, and yeah, there's, there's lots of complexities as to why the system is the way yeah. it is, but um, that's probably beyond our conversation today. Um, let's start out with talking a bit about pet food first, um, because this is an area that is, I find, um, can get really heated, even with people that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, health, uh, pet health professionals. Um, we, you know, from the get go, it just made no sense for me, even before I had a dog to think about feeding it dead dry biscuits there's no vitality in that food you're literally feeding it dried crap I'm sorry but it's something that's been made manufactured somewhere it's not food and if we think about what pets should be eating or animals should be eating or what I would want to eat it's not dry biscuits it's like feeding someone to me Nutrigrain every day why would you do that it's obviously not going to create optimal health so to me it was it kind of seemed like a no-brainer And then when we started having that conversation with other people uh, before we got Kubi and also when we did get her, some people looked at us like we had two heads. Like, what do you mean? What I'm really worried that we wouldn't be giving her all the right nutrients, that we would be missing things in the diet, you know, that uh, by dry buying dry biscuits, the company's making sure that all of the nu- essential nutrients are in there in the right amounts and your dog will be getting that, blah, 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 blah. There were all the arguments. Um, and since we also have a couple of friends who have seen what we've done and and kind of also the pennies dropped where they've thought, oh, yeah, it, it actually doesn't make sense to feed dry biscuits to your dog every day. Um, 
let's maybe go down the the raw fooding um, kind of route and and similarly have experienced the same thing where they've had their friends uh, saying the same things to them. And, and certainly when we've taken Kubi that couple of times to the emergency vet, when she ate uh, non-food items, she ate a sock once and we went to the emergency vet. Um, again, they basically, you know, sort of, started to tell us that we were negligent pet owners and and potentially that that was going to be dangerous for Kobe for us to be um not feeding her dry biscuits so I'd just love to get you know your uh view on all of that and and the benefits I guess behind potentially looking for alternative options yeah definitely and it's definitely one of those topics which astounds me that food is so controversial but (laughs) it is completely like um, you're either for it or against it and, and definitely practic- vet practitioners and all mm. that in that industry sit either in one camp or the other. Yeah. Um, I guess when I work with people and I'm talking to them about dry food, um, the biggest thing to understand is that, yes, um, by definition, it does meet the nutritional requirements. Um But in order to meet those nutritional requirements, exactly what you said, it undergoes an extremely high heat extrusion process of up to 400 degrees. So anything that was real before it was Mm. heated gets sucked out of that. So think about, I always give this example, you're cooking sweet potato in the oven and you cook it and it's cooked to perfection. It's a little bit brown, but it's really nice and orange still versus you leave it in the oven and it turns to charcoal yeah which one is more nutritional which one are you actually going to want to eat for Mm. health purposes okay um so what happens is it undergoes that heat process and then in order to fulfill those nutritional requirements that the national research council or whatever country you're in afco fediaf um they have to synthetically supplement those uh vitamins and minerals back in um so vitamin D, vitamin A, iron, copper, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it does contain those vitamin minerals, but they're synthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, most animals can't actually process or digest or get much benefit from synthetic supplements. Doesn't mean they don't, but they tend not to. Um, and that's very well documented in research. Um, we can achieve that without having to synthetically supplement. We can just feed fresh food um and you think about it yes they're domesticated pets uh i get that um but by nature they are still hunters and scavengers um Mm. we only need to look at their jaw to know that they're carnivores and they're not Mm. sitting there like us grinding with molars on food that's all shaped the same size um so that's sort of my starting point um But food is medicine. So most of the dogs that I see in practice, um, I only change their food. It's only in really complex cases that we're putting herbs and supplements into their food. We're literally trying to get those essential vitamins and minerals out of fresh human-grade food. The other argument that happens in this camp that's split between (laughs) two is the bacteria argument. Um, and that uh, raw meat contains all these horrible bacteria like Salmonella, E. coli, Campylobacter. Um, 
Yeah, which is true. Uh, it does. <laughs> but the animal's digestive system is completely capable of handling that, okay? It's a very short digestive tract, unlike ours, which is much longer. Um, they don't produce amylase in their saliva, so their digestion's not starting in their mouth, okay? It's got to get into that digestive system first, starts breaking it down, and it goes through. Their stomach acid is much higher. It's able to handle that bacteria. Um, and guess what? Their stomach already contains those bacteria anyway. Um, so that argument to me is really moot. As long as we're using quality ingredients, so mm -hmm. I don't know, I definitely don't advocate pet, you know, pet mints that's $2 mm. a kilo. Um, that is crap. It's really dangerous. And that's where we see these raw food recalls in the poor quality. But if we're feeding really high grade, human grade, human ingredients, and we're safely preparing and handling it, not feeding our dog moldy green yeah. chickens, that's totally fine. And um, I've not had any, nor have I really ever seen uh, in really top branded pre-maids or people making their own any issues to do with that. And mm. yeah, I've seen thousands of dogs now. And all around the world, people in that community would agree. Um, when you look at f pet food recalls all around the world, they're being recalled for alpha toxins, aka bacteria. Um, so it's probably more unsafe because of also how we assume a dry food can just be stored on the shelf. But depending on your climate, mm. um, it can become very, very unsafe very quickly. And I see a lot of people who buy like a garbage bin and fill like yeah. 40 kilos of dry food. It's not really shouldn't be in there for that long because that's where the bacteria comes in. So, in fact, that's probably more unsafe because we don't think about the handling and storage of it. Yeah, we just assume it's safe. And then what about the sort of more like chronic health issues that are, you know, possibly associated with, eating uh i think it sort of in a broad sense we can label it like a non um species appropriate diet that's what i think about in humans and something i explain to my clients is like okay so imagine the person that's i i did a conventional nutrition and dietetics degree but i actually don't practice as a dietitian because i just when i was there i was thinking how could i prescribe sustenance to people and think that that is going to benefit their health like that <laughs> that's not why I went to uni um and I think it's similar because you know with sustagen like you've talked about you know yeah it ticks all the boxes nutritionally are you going to be healthy living off that no of course not um you don't need a nutrition degree to work that out and um yeah I just think I I explain you know sort of two camps of people imagine like you've got the person who's having their sausage every day. Yeah. Meeting their requirements, obviously not really eating food, but technically eating their nutritional requirements. And then you've got someone who's eating like beautiful whole foods, lots of veggies, some animal proteins, some healthy fats, all of that stuff. That's actually eating a species appropriate diet, what we've evolved to eat, who has the better long-term health outcomes. It's really, really clear when you explain it like that. And is it a similar thing with pets? 100%. I spend a lot of time also explaining to people how to read conventional pet food labels to understand that most off-the-shelf pet food, and yes, I am generalizing, but most have a carbohydrate component of 50% and above. 
that is far beyond the what a, an animal can metabolize. Um, dogs are super and cats are super adaptable in that they can metabolize it, but it is not uh, optimal to their health. And then when I break down what goes into you know a fresh food diet, they're just completely blown away that there's actually minimal yeah. carbohydrate in that because it's protein and fat that a dog actually thrives off. Um, so yeah, in terms of chronic conditions, you see it on the rise: cancer, obesity, pancreatitis, um, all caused by these high starchy carbohydrate um, diets. And then the irony is they're then prescribed a prescription dry diet for those conditions. And guess what? They never, ever get rid of those conditions. And I I always say that to people when they come to me and say, oh, my dog's been diagnosed with pancreatitis. I'm just looking for something to help them. And it's like you can get rid of that. It's super easy to solve pancreatitis, definitely obesity. depending on the type of cancer we can definitely give a dog a bit more uh longevity but we shouldn't shouldn't be a death sentence and the other thing on the rise is kidney disease um Mm. it's like just but these dogs are also severely dehydrated from dry food because they need moisture in their diet yeah oh so it's dehydrating as well yeah um it's very you often see like a dog that eats say you put two bowls of food down give it to two dogs give the dog dry food and give the dog like a, a raw, fresh, whole food meal. Mm-hmm. Um, the dog eating the dry food, I guarantee you will go and guzzle water afterwards. Mm. Um, it's really dry and dehydrating and they're looking for that moisture that is just clearly not in the food. Yeah, and and when you explain it like that as well, the rise in different diseases, it's like it's obviously not funny but it's nearly, it's just so such a smack in the face like how similar it is to what's going on with us at the moment you know we've had this huge change in the industrialization of our food system we've gone from eating lots of animal proteins healthy fats to eating way too many carbohydrates and yeah it's just wild um how similar it is in the food in the pet food industry and do you have any ideas as to sort of like why why has it gone in that direction (laughs) I have lots of theories I think um we have become a society that wants something really quick and easy Mm. um and I get that we all live really busy lives but we can still do that in a in a healthy way Mm. um but also we rely so much on people telling us information and I know ironically we're here telling information yeah. but, but I'm not saying I'm the expert I'm saying go and go and validate that information yeah but we go to people as or we rely on marketing and things like that to tell us the answer but we shouldn't do that we should dig a bit deeper and if it doesn't sit right with you it probably isn't it isn't right mm. and I like I say that to when I go and meet a new client say yeah we have this consult today We'll probably have to check in, but really, I don't want to see you again because it's really about not this cycle of illness. We're on a path to getting your dog healthy, and I don't want to see your dog again. But that's that's a whole, you know, different industry. Um, like you said, that 
pill for an ill. Um, that's not how we work when we work holistically. I don't want to see my clients repeatedly. Yeah. Um, we want them on the path and then they have that aha moment and the dog's pretty much healthy for the rest of their life. And that's the way it should be. Mm, yep. And and what about, you mentioned the high starch carbohydrate content in the grain, uh, in the dog food, sorry. Um, like can dogs actually digest grains? Because I know you said they can adapt, but are they really supposed to be? Is there any negative outcomes of the grains themselves? Depends on the grain. So Mm -hmm. like under that grain category, um, you know, we can have corn, we can have rice, we can have wheat, we can have all sorts of things. Um, Some are just like huge no-nos to me. (laughs) So like rice, corn, um, they're the big ones. Barley, they tend to be really up there in in foods. Not like just they're just giant no-nos for me and the dogs tend to um, have severe issues on them. So when you look at ingredient lists on pet food packets, anything with that in it, I guarantee you I'm seeing that dog for like a skin issue or pancreatitis or something. Um, But in some cases I might prescribe or write a nutritional plan for a dog that has something like maybe some oats or some quinoa in it. But on the whole, no, I'm... I'm only going to write a recipe or write a nutritional plan for a dog that's really um, dealing with plant matter um, in a small amount. Um, And that's where we should be getting fiber from. Mm, Okay. Um, So dogs require fiber, but not so much that grain unless it's a necessity for a particular health reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's missing is the the plant matter. And um, you would probably you know, see that in what you do in your practice, that there's so many essential vitamins and minerals that come from plant matter that we can't get from animal matter. And Mm. that's why we're putting that um, component in a dog's diet as well. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's often a common argument that, yeah, if you take out grains, you won't get fiber and things, but people don't realize we've got fiber. There's fiber in nuts, there's fiber in avocado, there's fiber in all your non-starchy vegetables. and, and yeah, you don't, I'm not saying, you know, everyone or every dog doesn't need grains, but you don't necessarily need to eat them and certainly not at, uh, or to the level where they're actually displacing other higher nutrient content foods in the diet. Yeah, definitely. And I would always, I always say to people first, go for your vegetables. Um, and people when people are learning about nutrition and you'd see that with what we wrote for Kubi, um, that was primarily we were dealing with fresh plant matter. Um, yeah. We didn't write any grains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, we actually don't feed her any grains ever. She mainly just gets, well, she gets lots of different things. <laughs> we would be here for an hour if I explained all of that. But, yeah, she gets, she's very, very spoiled. Um, and so she should be. I was just wondering if we could switch gears a little bit from the food and actually talk about um, de-sexing um, because we re- we did quite a lot of research into this and we really, really didn't want Kobe to come de-sexed because we, from our understanding anyway, that, you know, de-sexing her early was really going to impact her hormones, potentially development, future health, all of that kind of thing. Um, And we did reach out to the breeder um, after we'd paid a deposit to try and 
um, negotiate that, you know, explained we would be happy to take her back to the vet down there or sign additional contracts, whatever needed to happen, we were happy to jump through the hoops. Um, And we were basically told uh, that if we didn't want to comply with it, we would have our deposit transferred back to us that day. Um, which really took me by surprise. To be honest, I wrote this lovely email. It was, you know, (laughs) really, really well thought out. And I was not expecting to get that uh, response back. And I I, look, to an extent, I can understand, you know, from a business perspective, why breeders might act like that. But again, it's one of those things where when you think about it logically, okay, so you're desexing them, their hormones aren't going to be um, developing properly. There's obviously going to be negative health outcomes as a result of that. They're basically a baby when it happens. Like she was only six or seven weeks. Like, yeah, what are the negative health outcomes of doing that? And how long should we be waiting? Yeah, so that is, again, this is another one of these really loaded topics. Yeah. And I don't. I don't understand why. I think I think it should be really freely discussed. Yeah. Um, I want to foreground my response before I <laughs> comment is to say that there is so much research that has come out in the last five years about what I'm about to talk to. So I mm-hmm. really recommend that people go and do their research on this because I'm talking from having read um, a lot of these studies and to- spoken to um, a number of vets overseas um, who are coming from the same perspective. So the thing to remember when we talk about desexing in the animal world, we almost fob it off and go, oh yeah, I'm just getting my dog desex. It's just a day procedure and they go home. Um, it is major surgery. For a female dog, they're having a complete hysterectomy. That's how we do it in Australia. Um, and for a male dog, we completely remove um, the testicles. Um, huge surgery. Um, so remember that. Just keep that in the back of your mind. It's a full hysterectomy and a full gonadectomy. Um, in countries like Norway, uh, it is illegal to desex your pet unless for medical reasons. Um, so they focus really on uh, education and they actually have the lowest numbers of issues in terms of unwanted pets compared to the issues that we have uh, in Australia. And I'm very aware of the issues we have in Australia because I live obviously in remote Australia where um, around lots of communities and things like that. So there's lots of pets um, that are unwanted and this out of control population. Mm-hmm. But if we're uh, active and responsible pet owners, I do think we can avoid those unwanted litters um, and advocate more for health. Um, so you have to think about your situation too. So if you're not willing to, you know, deal with it, what happens when a female dog comes on heat um, or perhaps um, what happens when a male dog's testosterone is really pumping, uh, then yes, maybe desexing is a good option for you. The next thing to consider is uh, what breed of dog do you have? So a lot of studies are now um, really asking us to consider the size of our dog, okay? And that's relative to how quickly they will reach that full maturation. So there'll be a fully grown dog, their growth plates will have fused um, and they've reached their full size. So obviously like a chihuahua, your toy breeds and things like that, they reach that a lot quicker. Okay, sometimes they can reach that between six and eight months. Our larger breed dogs, like our bull Arabs, um, our big standard poodles or grudels, our great Danes, they can take 
up to and in excess of two years mm. um, for that to happen um, because they're big dogs. Um, so by performing desexing, um, we are stopping those sex hormones that re- relate directly to growth and development. So we can and we have seen studies where they have followed dogs from the same litter that have been desex versus not desex. We see things around stunted growth. Um, so they still grow to maturity, but it, it's stunted mm-hmm. um, because those sex hormones play such a pivotal role. Those sex hormones also play a pivotal role in other body systems. Mm-hmm. So uh, immune regulation, um, skin health, gut health, those hormones don't just perform, you know, uh, sexual related purposes. So I see a lot what happens with um, particularly female dogs um, that are desex quite early. I guarantee you I'll be seeing them down the track for skin issues um, or that is usually manifesting first in in the ears and you can manage that naturally but I would put that down to um, desexing related issues the other thing to um, think about is if you're considering desexing um, do some research into your breed a breed so breeds like labradors and shepherds that have um, a predisposure to hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia, even our little dash hounds that are prone to IVDD. These hormones can help with the regulation in terms of joint growth and mobility. So I've just told everybody how they play into growth and development. So if they're not there, it can, of course, exacerbate these genetic conditions that they're prone to. And there's some fantastic vets looking into that Uh, in America and the UK. So it's this whole um, picture of all these interrelated things. Um, There are options. So if you're lucky enough to be um, in different locations, not to where I am in Australia, there are um, vets that are um, performing alternatives to the removal of the sex hormones. So for a female, that's called an M-sparing spay. So basically the Um, female dog will retain the ovaries but they remove the womb so obviously she can't get pregnant but she can still um, ovulate and still have that estrogen and progesterone production fantastic Um, for a male dog it's a vasectomy Mm. so they still retain the testicles they still produce the testosterone um, and they retain they can't you know obviously inseminate a female dog so lots to consider and there are vets now doing this in Australia. Sadly, it is not still the standard that is taught in terms of surgical procedures at vet schools, but there are vets that have gone and trained in it, um, which is fantastic. So the other myth I will just quash very quickly is um, around male dogs and I'm going to desex my male dog to stop him being aggressive. Mm -hmm. So studies have clearly shown that, in fact, uh, there's more cases of aggression in de-sexed male dogs Uh and undesexed male dogs. And that has a lot to do with this many, many things. Um, And testosterone doesn't necessarily mean that that person's angry, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) It's just there's a lot of other things going on. Um, And also remember, if you do decide to keep that your dog is uh, entire, Mm -hmm. understand how the hormones affect 
behavior um, with or without those hormones as well because they do will go through behavioral changes um, and we should work with the animal and their needs in terms of hormones because those hormones yeah they're fascinating and very very complex um, but should not be ignored in how that links to all the body systems and behavior. Yeah, that's interesting. And what about, like, I guess this links into behavior, but moods and things like that, I'm sure they can change moods as well. Is that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, one of my dogs is, uh, I have two male dogs, one's mm-hmm. desexed, one's undesexed. Um, so my entire dog and that's Trevor who had the um, fracture that was a a primary reason why I kept him entire I went through a very long process and many discussions with vets Um, because of that testosterone component I really Mm. wanted to help heal by allowing that testosterone to to play a role Um, but I yes he definitely goes through moods um, that obviously they can smell um, female dogs Mm -hmm. From a distance away if they're on heat um they can smell that in humans too yeah so that can yeah. change around with whoever's in your household okay um they have an amazing sense of smell um so they can even predict when that's going to happen um and entire male dogs we do know tend to want to some some tend to want to roam so you need to be able to fulfill those um needs that that hormone sort of encourages in that dog so for me um trevor the entire dog i take him places where it's safe for him to have those big um big long runs sort of in the bush so he can get that um testosterone out because you can see that when it's really pumping um through his body and he'll have like a spontaneous erection or something um and there's that need to that needs to be fulfilled he has a place to dig. He gets lots of things to chew. So he has outlets for those hormones and the same principle for female dogs as well. And what about the changes that you see mood-wise and behaviour-wise in dogs that are desexed young? Because we always joke when it's not a joke, obviously, because we're really sad that Kobe got desexed so young. Um, but we sort of have this running joke where when she looks like she's, you know, tired and being a little bit moody that we sometimes think like oh I wonder if it's because she doesn't have the hormones that she needs um if she seems like she's a little bit sort of um I don't know off or something like that yeah definitely because we know that uh well we know in humans as well Mm. that hormones are mood regulators um so that definitely I would say yeah possibly Mm. um it could be that that's what's going on it's really hard because you want to be able to ask the animal I know Um, but we know in terms of science that yes these hormones play a role in mood regulation Mm -hmm. um and regardless of whether they were perhaps um desex well before they even had um a cycle can still potentially play into that and there's studies that are saying that now that even if a dog perhaps uh, perhaps hasn't even had the chance to have a cycle before they've been desex mm. that they might even still experience that phantom pregnancy and things uh, like that yeah, um yeah. so and we know what happens when a dog has a phantom pregnancy there's definitely like a, a mood sequence that happens mm. um in that case and that's actually quite a traumatic thing to watch a dog Mm. go through that so there's studies coming out um about that is now about that now um which kind of links to that question about mood because it changes their behavior and they're Mm. a bit mopey and don't want to do stuff it's just Um, so sad 
just makes me so sad to think about her. Like when we picked her up, she was so tiny, so little. And just to think like they just open her up and take all her bits out so young, like it's it's horrible. It's crazy. And I think because we just see them as animals, but they're they're and they have emotions. And I think we're starting to catch up but we still have a long way to go. The other thing to remember is you have your work cut out for you. And I know because I've got a desex dog, um, weight management becomes very, very hard because we know these hormones um, help with uh, weight modulation and regulation. Um, so you really have to be on to that in terms of um, obesity. Hmm, I wonder maybe that will change in the next few years. At the moment, she's not a super foodie dog. Like she'll kind of just, even if we leave her, put her food out she'll she'll stop eating when she's had enough she won't um sometimes sometimes she finishes it all and other times she'll eat what she wants and then leave it so maybe that will change for us in a few years as she gets older you never know yeah it'll be interesting to watch that but it's like that's a really interesting point but dogs are super intuitive too yeah um in that like yeah some dogs will guts and I get that but you know, given the opportunity and I know how much diversity and variety Kubi gets in terms of her food, um, they really are capable of making decisions. Um, yeah. We just tend not to do that, but because she gets that decision-making and knows that food's not not coming, yeah. um, that she can perhaps modulate that herself. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And the other thing that I've found comes up quite a bit Um is like that's a bit controversial I guess or very controversial is that things around worming and tick treatments and um yeah what are your thoughts there yeah so for me (laughs) I I do work in a clinic so I I I can understand both camps again um for me I do not give my um dogs chemical tick worming um if if I did like a fecal float on my dog and they had a ridiculously high worm burden I may make the decision to give them a particular brand of mm-hmm. chemical worming um, but on the whole uh there is lots of research on uh natural alhermetics for animals and humans mm-hmm. um I choose not to and I advocate not to do it I do it naturally so that would be worming flea and tick control and heartworm uh I choose to do it all naturally because I don't like how those chemicals uh interplay in the body and I don't like the risk of the potential side effects particularly with certain brands of um flea tick worming yeah. that contain um the fluorolana family of isoxazolines that basically causes a courses pesticide through the blood and the tick is required to bite the dog to therefore get the dirty chemically mm-hmm. poisoned blood so if that tick bites the dog um, and that tick is carrying a tick-borne disease for example um, it can still make the dog sick with that tick disease and I have seen that uh, many times in the clinic up here um, so it's still not a hundred percent so yeah. I I focus more on putting um, a natural alternative into yeah. my dog's body so I'm not compromising their immune system. 
Um, I want to keep them as well as possible and their immune system being able to fight off those invaders um, as well as possible. There have been times, like as I said, I I understand that we need to look at things holistic. Mm. There are times um, I live in a very tick-dense area and my dogs do go bush quite a lot. There are times where I do use like a a Ceresto tick collar and I'm okay with that because I know I can take it off uh, and wash the dog. But, again, I have seen dogs have adverse side effects to those things. So just keep that in mind and do your research. I say to people, go and before you give your dog anything, even if it's natural, go and make sure you have had the potential side effects explained to you. in full but so you can make a well-rounded decision because I know for a fact we just tend to say here take this yeah um, not go this could possibly happen to your dog um and more often than not they are having um reactions to it yeah I mean I just again sound so similar to some of the conversations that I have with clients around you know obviously I work a lot with hormones so around uh, hormonal contraceptives that that uh, I think there's a real issue with informed consent not really being there in a lot of situations unfortunately uh, and you know maybe we wouldn't make a different decision if we did have all of the facts but also maybe we would and I also think it sort of leads to a bigger conversation around uh, us not asking enough questions collectively to someone that we deem to have the authority in that situation and yes if you're going to see an expert you want to take their advice but you should still have an idea of you know what other options and things are out there not just taking things at face value 100% and that's the biggest thing that I think I sit down a lot of with a lot of people and say do have you ever had explained to you Mm. one the ingredients in what you're giving in relation to X drug or X herbal medicine, whatever it is, and how they work on the body and the potential side effects. And yep. probably in 99% of the cases, they have not had that explained. Yep. And for yep. me, that's problematic because that's there is no, therefore, exactly what you said, there is no informed consent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that concerns me because I, I mean, <laughs> I'm in business for a reason because I'm treating lots of dogs that have... Mm-hmm. Um, reactions and things in particularly seizures is a number mm. in a number of cases um, that that have been documented by the vet um, from these products so yeah just it's important to understand what we're putting in and that's also in terms of food too yeah. um, so it's not just um, yeah definitely education. and the I think what took me back we um, we do the natural approach with could be for both of those things as well. And, and also just we're quite careful with avoiding certain areas in summer and that kind of thing. Um, but when we first went to the vet and we were given our different, or they talked us through our different options for tick treatments and some of them just lasted so long. It was, you know, three months or even a year. I can't remember if it was a year, if that's right. But that to me was so in terrifying that we could give her something that would make her undesirable for ticks for three months to a year 
I was like, oh, wow, it must be really poisonous um, that it actually stays that long in her system. So I think even just when we strip things back and think about them super logically in that you don't even need to understand the science behind it, if you just think about it from that really base perspective, it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, that does raise a bit of a red flag as to what's actually in it and how safe it actually is and all that kind of thing. Um, I am conscious of your time, Roz, but there's one thing I just really, really want to ask lastly, because this is really, really common, um, is what your thoughts are around like collars versus harnesses, because um, uh, most people do use collars. uh, And this was another thing that we looked into before getting a pet. And, you know, we've all walked past a dog that's going like, eh, 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 <laughs> because it's, I shouldn't laugh, but because it's being choked by its collar. And from you, I've learned that that's actually damage that's being caused to its trachea. Is that right? Trachea, thyroid, yeah. um, all the arteries and veins in the neck. So um, to give I guess to give context, I say this to my clients in the sense that how would you like it if you went out with your friend, um, you're going for a walk and your friend sees something really awesome and they just start deviating off the path and you yank them back um, by the hair. Um, Ouch, for one, and two, it's not really nice. Um, But we do that. For some reason, it's still okay to drag our dogs around um, by the neck. The neck holds us up. Um, like I said, it's our esophagus, our trachea, our thyroid, uh, all these vital organs that sit there and we drag these animals around by the neck. Um, we cause whiplash injuries because we sometimes attach things to their snout, um, mm. all in this advent of control. But really our dogs want to walk like a dog. Um, if we want our dogs to walk next to us, then we need to teach them humanely uh, it's not the equipment that that teaches the dog uh, it's us as the owner um and also I it's just the other thing I see is okay if you want to have a collar on your dog fine just don't attach a lead to it that's what I mean. <laughs> um but I see like certain breeds of dogs with like collars that come up over their whole neck and they've got huge studs in it mm. this poor animal is in it 24 7 I take my jewelry off before I go to bed so I'm not feeling tangled I'm not feeling restricted so think about that for your animal too um at least give them a break from it um, yeah. let that neck reset and things like that mm. um in terms of harnesses too just quickly I know I could talk forever yeah um, think about comfort okay so there's lots of harnesses on the market um I know a lot about harnesses and I've what I watch dogs walk in them I've taken so many slow video slow-mo videos of dogs walking in different harnesses um we wouldn't wear well as females we wouldn't wear a bra that is so uncomfortable that it rubs under our armpits um it like pinches my back fat when I do it up and I just don't feel good in it yeah Mm. the same applies to a harness for a dog a good harness should have a y front uh and then a h back um so I really only like two brands um I'm not sponsored by these brands um NEX and Hakihana um are my two go-tos for that so the the y front sits on the sternum Mm -hmm. um and it comes up over around the top of the shoulder blade Um, but it misses connecting at the shoulder blade because we don't want to do that. Um, So we're missing all the vital organs of the neck um, and then it has a strap down the spine and then the H um, comes and connects around the ribs. 
when you think about it, the ribs protect all the vital organs of the animal, same for us, and they're really strong bones. So they can take a little bit of uh, impact if perhaps the dog um, did pull or we had to stop them. But Mm -hmm. again, if we teach our dog to walk, that shouldn't be a problem. Um, And they have full range of movement in their limbs. So that's really important because, you know, many, many dogs, uh, in fact, 85% of dogs over the age of eight and 35% of all dogs have arthritis. Um, Wow, that's huge. I know it's just, it's terrible. It's sad. (laughs) But this is to do with all these things Mm -hmm. that we're doing not so great. Um, they they have a pre-existing condition or you have not had them assessed for pain or confirmation issues or injury and you restrict their movement with the equipment or you attach a collar that hurts their neck, um, you can then just throw out and exacerbate these injuries. Mm. So a good fitting harness that naturally encourages full range of movement or full range of what they can actually move is really important because as soon as you start restricting movement you can exacerbate and or cause injury just through walking equipment Mm, yeah it's it's something I we just see it all the time obviously I'm always on the scope now I mean I'm definitely no expert at all when it comes to pet care but I feel like I've learned a lot in the last year and when you do start learning it about it or what I've learned anyway like I've said so many times throughout this episode like it just seems also logical if we could just not choke them and get something that allows them to move properly if we could just feed them food that they're actually designed to eat and if we just didn't shove them full of chemicals they would probably have a lot better health outcomes it's like wow yeah that makes sense (laughs) and it's saving people a lot of money (laughs) yeah it's so true so true I just we were talking off air about a friend a friend that we have who got a dog the same time as us and we always see her walking and her dogs had a few of the sort of the ear things because um like could be she's got a dog with floppy ears and they go swimming a lot and get damp and things in there and nearly every time we've seen her poor thing it's been you know five hundred dollars here six hundred dollars there another eight hundred dollars five hundred dollars um and yeah that can be incredibly stressful as well financially um if you're constantly needing to run to the vet every time Oh, definitely. So I would say invest in wellness from the yes, start. Yes, for sure. Invest in wellness now. I've really, really loved this conversation, um, Roz, and I really hope that people listening get something out of it because I know it's, you know, I don't think it's often sort of spoken about uh, and it doesn't really seem to be super common knowledge or certainly not, you know, people that I know. So I'm really excited to share this episode because I feel like, you know, hopefully even if people just do one thing like feeding their dog real food, um, that might help their long-term health outcomes. So thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise and knowledge. Um, I'm really grateful. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Awesome. Um, I would love if you could just direct any listeners who want to get in touch with you, who want to work with you, how they can find you and and uh, get in touch. Yeah, so you can find uh, me on Instagram or Facebook, Natural Medicine for Pets or Natural Pets Oz is our handle, or you can um, jump on um, www.naturalpetsoz.com.au and you can send us an inquiry uh, through there or Amazing. email me. Amazing. 
Cool. I'll pop all of your um, links in the show notes and I'll also put the links to those harnesses as well in case people want to check those out. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.